0: Sugar. We eat too much of it, but how worried should you be about what it is doing to your health? While there can be considerable debate in many areas of nutrition, along with conflicting recommendations on what we should eat, sugar is one food that everybody unites on in acknowledging that we eat too much of it. In today's podcast, I'll explore the different ways that added sugar can sneak into food. I'll explore the truths, And lies about some of the claims made about it and give you tips on how to eat less of it, all with no 12 week sugar detox program required. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition Podcast. My name is Tim Crow and I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? While I don't profess to have all the answers in an area that is continually changing as research changes, you can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking. And this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins, endorsements, or advertisements. Just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language and then translating this into what it means for your health. So on with today's show. Sugar is today's number one dietary demon and not without undue reason. While there can be considerable debate in many areas of nutrition, together with conflicting recommendations on what we should eat, sugar is one food that everybody unites on in acknowledging that we eat too much of it. Ever since people first discovered honey and dates, they have enjoyed the sweetness of sugars. In Australia, the natural sugars found in milk and fruits account for about half of the sugar the average person eats each day. Fruit contains natural sugars, which are a mix of sucrose, fructose, and glucose. Milk contains lactose, which is a combination of glucose and galactose joined together. Now the other half of the sugar we eat each day is made up of sugars that have been refined and added to foods for a variety of purposes. Refined sugar comes from sugar cane or sugar beets, which are processed to extract the sugar. It is typically found as sucrose, which is a combination of glucose and fructose. To be clear though, there are really only two different types of sugar in our diet, and only one of them is a health worry. The first is the sugars naturally found in whole foods, such as fruit and milk. Then there are the sugars added to food. These are the ones that carry the biggest health concerns. Australians eat too much sugar, but the hard part about trying to eat less is knowing just where it is found in foods. We tend to think that added sugar is mainly found in soft drinks, desserts and confectionery, and you'll be right. But you'll find it in many savoury foods, breakfast cereals and even healthy foods such as energy bars. To know where all the hidden sugar is lurking, you need to be a bit of a food detective, because added sugar can go under dozens of different names. And here's just a few of them. Barley malt, fructose, maltose, palm sugar, coffee sugar, glucose, icing sugar, malt, dextrose, and so on. In fact, there are dozens and dozens of different names for sugar. Now, in Australia, the total amount of sugars in a product is listed in the nutrition information panel. The panel, though, doesn't distinguish between sugars that have been added by the manufacturer, including honey, syrups and fruit juices, from those sugars that are naturally present in the food to start with, such as the lactose found in milk. The only way to tell that sugars have been added to a food is by checking the ingredients list and looking for any one of the many names that sugar can be classified as. The higher up the ingredient list, the more added sugar the product likely contains. So that's natural and added sugars covered. Now it gets a little bit more complicated when you consider what happens in the body to that sugar and other carbohydrates that we eat. The two types of carbohydrates in our diet are starches, such as that found in rice, pasta and potatoes, and the simple sugars. The ultimate fate of most of the starch and sugars eaten, though, is to be digested into smaller molecules of glucose, which is the simplest form of sugar. The glucose is then quickly absorbed from the intestines into the bloodstream. The glucose in the blood is also known as blood sugar. With the help of the hormone insulin, which is produced by the pancreas, excess glucose in the bloodstream can be taken into cells. Now every cell in the body depends on glucose for its fuel to some extent. The cells of the brain and the rest of the nervous system depend almost exclusively on glucose for their energy. After a meal, glucose can either be used to make energy or stored as an energy reserve as glycogen in the liver or muscles. Eating too much sugar as part of a diet that may be already high in kilojoules puts the body in a state of energy excess. If the sugar cannot be used as an immediate source of energy or stored as glycogen, then it will be converted to fat and stored in the body's fat cells. Extra fat storage from eating too much sugar is a key contributor to the current problems of overweight and obesity. So in small amounts, sugar adds a pleasurable sweetness to foods without presenting too much harm to health. The problem arises when a diet contains too much added sugar, especially from foods that have few nutritional merits, like soft drinks and confectionery. As obesity rates have increased over the past decades, sugar consumption has also reached an all-time high. Sugar, though, is not to blame for all this rise in obesity rates, but it does add a lot of extra kilojoules to the diet. So is there something insidious about sugar calories that can lead to greater weight gain? Not really. Sugar, including fructose, is not inherently fattening relative to other foods. Its effects on body weight is from the extra energy it adds to our diets. That's it. And that was the clear finding of a major review and meta-analysis of 68 studies published in the British Medical Journal, which I'll link to in the show notes. But there is a bit more to this story. What can make sugar especially fattening is the context it is normally eaten in. Sugar increases the energy density of food and makes it more palatable and desirable. This means people are more likely to end up eating more of the foods which add a lot of added sugar than is good for them. High sugar diets have also been linked with an increased risk of heart disease, the number one cause of death worldwide. Added sugars, and fructose in particular, favour the fat-making pathways and impair the fat-clearing pathways in the liver. The resulting blood lipid profile increases the risk of heart disease. One study found that over 15 years, people who consume between 17 and 21 percent of their kilojoules from added sugar had a 38 percent higher risk of dying from heart disease compared to people who consume just 8 percent of their kilojoules as added sugar. Consuming too much added sugar can also raise blood pressure and increase chronic inflammation, both of which are pathways to heart disease. Another health concern about added sugar is in the development of dental diseases, particularly dental caries, which is the scientific term for tooth decay or cavities. Globally, dental diseases are the most widespread health condition. Dental diseases continue to cause pain, anxiety, functional limitation and social handicap through tooth loss for large numbers of people worldwide. Sugars from foods can contribute to dental caries. Bacteria in the mouth ferment the sugars and, in the process, produce an acid that erodes tooth enamel, causing tooth decay. Sticky foods are a particular problem, as they stay on the teeth longer, and hence continue to produce acid for longer. Soft drinks, fruit juice and sports drinks are also a concern, as they not only contain a lot of sugar, but are acidic. These acidic drinks can erode tooth enamel and may explain why dental erosion is so common today. How often a person eats sugar is also a problem when it comes to dental disease. Bacteria in the mouth make acid for about 20 to 30 minutes after each exposure to sugar. If a person eats three lollies at one time the teeth will be exposed to approximately 30 minutes of acid destruction, but if the person eats three lollies at half-hour intervals, the time of exposure increases to 90 minutes. Likewise, slowly sipping a sugary sports drink from the perspectives of tooth decay may be more harmful than drinking quickly and clearing the mouth of sugar. So what about the idea that sugar makes kids more hyperactive? Well, sugar also seems to be synonymous with making kids hyperactive, but of course where there's sugar, there must be hyperactive kids, or so says conventional wisdom. Science says otherwise. A whole bunch of published, randomized, controlled trials have been unable to find any difference in behavior between children who ate sugar from Molly's, chocolate or natural sources compared to those kids that did not and this was the clear finding from a meta-analysis published in 1995, which I'll link to in the show notes. And before you think that this must be out-of-date research, just think that when the same type of studies are done over and over and over again, and the result is the same, scientists do move on and study other more interesting things, rather than waste their time trying to see an effect that really isn't there. Even studies that included children with ADHD cannot detect any meaningful difference between the behavior of children who eat sugar compared with those who do not. The most important aspect of all these myth-busting studies though is they used a study design where the researchers or parents and the children were unaware of whether they were consuming a product containing sugar or a non-sugar substitute. It is only when you introduce an intentional bias into the experiments and allow the parents to know what food their child was given, that the real culprit behind the myth emerges. When parents believe their child has been given a drink containing sugar, they consistently rate their child's behaviour as more hyperactive, even if the drink did not contain any sugar. So why do kids seem so hyperactive when they consume an abundance of sugar? It all comes down to the context. When kids are having fun at birthday parties, on holidays, or at family celebrations, sugar, laden food is frequently served. It's the fun, freedom, and contact with other kids that makes them hyperactive, not the food they consume. But that doesn't mean hyperactivity should be ignored. ADHD is a serious behavioral and developmental disorder that can impact on the child's academic performance and family life. As such, extreme hyperactivity should be investigated by an appropriate health professional. Simply removing sugar from the child's diet isn't going to reduce the hyperactivity. In fact, eliminating whole food groups in an attempt to treat hyperactivity is an extreme approach that can do more harm than good. Growing children have different nutrient needs to adults, so eliminating whole food groups without a valid medical reason can affect their growth overall health, and even later life food preferences. Having too much sugar, especially if it is coming from drinks, has been linked to excess weight gain and dental problems in kids. So even with the sugar equals hyperactivity myth busted, there are many valid reasons to restrict how much sugar kids consume. So we all agree that eating too much added sugar is not a good thing for health. So how much should you be eating? A good target to aim for in reducing sugar consumption is to follow World Health Organization guidelines. The WHO recommends that people eat no more than 12 teaspoons, that's about 50 grams, of free sugars each day. That includes sugars added to the food by the manufacturer or the consumer, as well as sugars that are naturally present in honey, syrups, fruit juices and fruit concentrates. They further recommend that reducing free sugars to 6 teaspoons per day would provide extra health benefits. So how best to eat less? One place to start is to look more closely at food labels and the ingredients lists. Take special note of any food that has a form of sugar in the top 3 ingredients as this likely contains too much. Check the amount of sugar per 100 grams. That will tell you the percentage of sugar. For instance, if it contains 30 grams of sugar per 100 grams, that means it's 30% sugar. Simpler yet, choose foods as close to their natural state as possible, like whole fruit. These foods don't require a label or have a very short ingredients list and are rich with healthy fiber and other nutrients other ways to reduce how much sugar you're having, including having fewer regular soft drinks, sports drinks, and energy drinks, and instead, choose water, milk, or unsweetened tea or coffee. Try to have less cakes, biscuits, ice cream, other desserts, and lollies, and if you do eat these foods, have a smaller portion. For dessert, you could choose fruit instead, and when baking biscuits or cakes, cut the sugar in your recipe by one-third Often, you won't even notice the difference. You can add fruit to breakfast cereals rather than table sugar. And watch out for healthy processed food snacks like energy bars or some muesli bars. These contain a lot of sugar. If we start with the premise that most people eat too much added sugar, then eating less of it, no matter how little the reduction, will give some health wins. But there's no reason to avoid the sugar that is naturally present in whole foods. Fruits, vegetables, and dairy products naturally contain small amounts of sugar, but they also contain fiber, nutrients, and various beneficial compounds. The most effective way to reduce your sugar consumption is to eat mostly whole and minimally processed foods, foods that are in close to their natural state as possible. However, if you do decide to buy packaged foods, be on the lookout for the many different names that sugar goes by. Now onto my research wrap-up segment, where I profile a study that has grabbed my attention during the week. And for this week, it is a study that is some relevance to the theme of today's podcast on sugar. With all the recent health focus on sugar, poor old fruit has received unwanted attention for the simple reason that it is high in sugar. Fruit is a core part of dietary guidelines the world over. But with the rise in obesity rates and health problems, and the greater scrutiny that sugar has received because of this, fruit has sometimes been tainted because of its high sugar content. If diets high in sugar are a driver of obesity and disease risk, is there any merit to the line that whole fruit should also be limited or even avoided simply because of its sugar content? This question has been answered in a recent systematic review, which I'll link to in the show notes. Involving 41 studies with a mixture of both randomized controlled trials and observational studies where fruit consumption was tracked against body weight changes, a consistent outcome was seen. Increasing consumption of whole, fresh fruit did not increase body weight and likely even had a modest impact on helping with weight loss. Agreeing with the favourable effects of fruit on body weight, fruit consumption also helped to reduce the total amount of food eaten by either displacing more energy-dense foods or helping to curb appetite. Whole fruit though is a very different food to refined sugar added to highly palatable energy-dense discretionary foods. Fruit is a good source of fibre contains many important nutrients, and because of its water content, is less energy-dense than many high-sugar-containing convenience foods. So really, the findings from this new review are not that surprising, except perhaps for those that have pushed the line for far too long that all sugar is bad for us, including fruit. There are a lot of reasons to eat less of foods high in added sugar, but when it comes to healthy fruit and its natural sugar, there is no need to be cutting back. Whole fresh fruit is unlikely to add excess kilojoules to the the diet or cause weight gain and if anything may help protect against weight gain. That makes many good reasons to continue enjoying fruit each day. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on, if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to delete out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.